Hello, family, and welcome to Kingwood Methodist. In John 4, 23, Jesus states that a time is coming and has now come when the true worshipers will worship the Father in the Spirit and in truth, for they are the kind of worshipers the Father seeks. As we gather at church and open God's Word, we are not just coming together for the sake of gathering, but also to learn the truth of God and how we can grow to love God with our whole heart, mind, soul, and strength. As we continually surrender our lives to the Word of God, by the power of the Holy Spirit, we become the types of worshipers our Heavenly Father seeks. Let's dive in together. been in a series where we're looking at the questions that God asks of us. And I think Lent is the perfect time because it's a time of reflection and renewal. So it's a wonderful time to start to think about those questions and to ponder them. Now, after the children have left, well, not all the kids have left. Parents, if you have children and you pick them up from school and you ask them, how was your day? What's the answer? Fine. Yeah. One nice little one-word answer, right? Fine. Mm -hmm. And you're lucky you got that. So, (laughs) but the beautiful thing is, when God asks us a question, it is not something that we can answer in a one-word answer. There's no just fine. There's no one-word answer to it. And those questions in Scripture are meant to help us to dig deeper into it. For, that, for God to reveal himself to us through those questions. And it's one of the things in, in scripture that the ancient Hebrews, that, was a, that is still very much a part of their culture and their reading of scripture is to ponder it and to think about it and to think on those questions and listen for God's voice and revelation in those questions. And so that's what we're gonna do today. As we read the scripture, I'm gonna get to God's question and I'm gonna just be silent because I want you to, you can read it out loud, you can read it in your head, however you want to do it, but I want you to have answer that, or hear that question asked in your head. So as we read the scripture today, I'm in 1 Kings chapter 19, verses 1 through 15, and this is the story of Elijah, and he's just fought a battle, um, and he's now, Ahab has gone to Jezebel and told Jezebel what's happened. Ahab told Jezebel all that Elijah had done and how he had killed all the prophets with the sword. Then Jezebel sent a messenger to Elijah saying, so may the gods do to me and more also if I do not make your life as the life of one of them by this time tomorrow. Then he was afraid and he arose and ran for his life and came to Beersheba, which belongs to Judah, and he left his servant there. But he himself went on a day's journey into the wilderness and came and sat down under a broom tree. And he asked that he might die, saying, It is enough. Now, O Lord, take away my life, for I am no better than my father's. And he lay down and slept under a broom tree. And behold, an angel touched him and said to him, Arise and eat. And he looked, and behold, there was at his head a cake baked on hot stones and a jar of water. And he ate and drank and lay down again. And the angel of the Lord came a second time and touched him and said, Arise and eat, for the journey is too great for you. And he arose and ate and drank and went off in the strength of that food for 40 days and 40 nights to Horeb, the Mount of God. There he came to a cave and lodged in it. And behold, the word of the Lord came to him and said to him, 
This is where you fill in the question. In Elijah's response, I have been very jealous for the Lord, the God of hosts. For the people of Israel have forsaken your covenant, thrown down your altars, killed your prophets with the sword, and I, even I, only am left. And they seek my life to take it away? And he said, go out and stand on the mount before the Lord. And behold, the Lord passed by, and a great and strong wind tore the mountains and broke in pieces the rocks before the Lord. But the Lord was not in the wind. And after the wind, an earthquake. But the Lord was not in the earthquake. And after the earthquake, a fire. But the Lord was not in the fire. And after the fire, of the, after the, fire the sound of a low whisper. And when Elijah heard it, he wrapped his face in his cloak and went out and stood at the entrance of the cave. And behold, there came a voice to him and said, he said, this is Elijah's response, I have been very jealous for the Lord, the God of hosts, for the people of Israel have forsaken your covenant, thrown down your altars and killed your prophets with the sword. And I, even I only am left and they seek to take my life away. And the Lord said to him, Go, return on your way to the wilderness of Damascus, and when you arrive, you shall anoint Hazel to be king over Syria. The word of God for you and me, the people of God. Thanks be to God. So the reason why I wanted us to do that was because I wanted you to listen and pay attention to the tone and how you heard God say those words to you. Because I think that matters a lot. I think that the way we hear that determines, one, I think, a little bit about us and how we see God, but it also helps us to start to unpack this question a little bit as well. Now, there's several ways you can hear it. You can hear that question. There's the, have you ever run into someone when you're not in Kingwood and you're on vacation or something and you run into someone you know there, and what do you do? You're like, what are you doing here? And you're so excited, there's a sense of joy and excitement. What are you doing here? And it's great that you ran into each other. And then there's the one that I call the mom tone. And this is when you have found your child doing something or somewhere they are not supposed to be. And it is, what are you doing here? <laughs> and we all know the mom tone. <laughs> and then there's this other tone as well. And I think there's multiple other ones as well. But there's also a tone of compassion when God looks at us and goes, what are you doing here? How did you end up here? This isn't where you're supposed to be, but I'm here. But what are you doing here? So that's what we're going to talk about, is that question and how God responds to us in that. But I want us to step back a little bit and look at where Elijah has been, because I think in order to fully understand and recognize the significance of how he ended up in this cave, we've got to go back and see what's happened and transpired before this and how God has been working through this. So 1 Kings, Old Testament. And at this time, this is when Solomon, chapters 1 through 11 is when Solomon comes to power and he becomes king and he rebuilds the temple. And he makes a lot of good choices and things are going okay for a while there. And then he starts in with bad choices. He starts to not only introduce worship of idols to Israel, but brings those idols into the temple. He basically breaks all the rules that God has set up for the kings to obey. And then as a result of that and everything that's going on, there's all this political strife and all this, these issues going on. This in chapter 12 through 16 is when we see that split between the north and the south. 
and we have two separate kingdoms now. Israel is completely divided. And there's two sets of kings here, and over this time period, there's a, t- a total of 20 kings. In the north, they are for zero, or excuse me, 12 kings. Um, they're, they're zero for 20. The number of t- kings that they have that follows all the rules, zero. In the southern kingdom, it's eight. A little better, but not a great fantastic track record. And so as a result of that, God introduces prophets. And this is Elijah. Elijah's a prophet. And the prophets were called to speak on God's behalf. They were there to call out idolatry, to call out injustice, and to call people to repent. And this is where Elijah is with King Ahab and his wife Jezebel. He's calling them out. And God has given Elijah the ability to determine when it rains, He has sent Elijah to go and stay with the widow of Zarephath at one point. And while he's there, he raises her son from the dead. And then he's hid in groups of 50, the prophets that are being being pursued and persecuted by um, Ahab and Jezebel. He's hidden them in caves in groups of 50s and he's provided them with food and water and sustained them through that time. And God has worked in all of these circumstances and been a part of all of this. And so Elijah sees what Ahab is doing in his worship of idols. And he goes to him, and this is what he says. Ahab says when, um, when Elijah shows up, is it you, you troubler of Israel? And Elijah's response is, It's you that has troubled Israel when you abandoned the commandments of the Lord and followed Baals. And so they've come together, and so Elijah now calls him out, and this is what he tells Ahab to do. He says, okay, I want you to take your your prophets, and I want you to, they're going to go get some wood, and they're going to get a bull, and they're going to put it out there, and then you're going to pray to your gods, and you're going to ask your gods to light that fire. And you're going to make an offering and a sacrifice to your God. We're going to do the same thing. You're going to build yours. We're going to build ours. So they build theirs. They prepare it. And then they start to pray. And it says they prayed all day. And this is what scripture said. But there was no voice. No one answered. No one paid attention. Now Elijah and his people, the believers that he still had around him, they built an altar out of 12 stones for the 12 tribes of Israel. They took the wood, put it up there, put the bull on top of it, and then dug a trench around it completely. And then he had his people come and pour jugs of water on it until everything was soaked and the trenches around it were completely filled. And Elijah called upon the Lord. And this is what scripture says. The Lord fell and consumed the offering and made it in the wood, the stones, and dust, and licked up the water in the trench. Then Elijah seized the prophets from Baal, and they were slaughtered at that point. And this is what Ahab has just gone back and reported to Jezebel, and they're not real happy about this situation. But in the meantime, Elijah restores the rain to the land. And scripture tells us, and the hand of the Lord was on Elijah. So Ahab's now reported back to Jezebel. She threatens him, and this is where we find ourselves in chapter 19. And what does Elijah do? Notice there was no command in here. 
Elijah, go, flee, go into the desert. Nope. He gets scared and he hightails it out of there. He's like, out of here, see you later. There was no go command from God in that. That fear sprang up in him. And instead of resting and relying on the God that he had been depending on his whole life, and in particular the past three and a half years, he feared Jezebel. Feared her gods that he had just shown had zero power. And he ran all the way to Beersheba. He was so fearful at one point, he leaves his servant behind, travels into the desert for 15 miles, sits down under a tree and says, okay, I'm done. Lord, just take me now. But he was exhausted. He was discouraged. And he prayed that he would die And when he laid down and fell asleep. Now, my mom has always given me some advice that many times in my life used to just drive me crazy, especially when I was in my teen years. She would always tell me, there's nothing that a good night's sleep can't fix. You will wake up in the morning with a new perspective and a new way to see this, and it will be better than it feels right now. Well, turns out, my mom was right. And even in scripture, my mom, apparently, I don't know, I don't think that was a biblical thing that she was telling me, and it was based in scripture, but we can see it here. Elijah goes to sleep, and he wakes up the next morning, and the angel appeared to him and gave him food and water. He had a whole new perspective. God provided And then that angel sent him on his way for 40 days. That sound familiar? Moses and Israel traveled around the desert for 40 years. They were sustained by the water and the manna, the bread that God had provided for them. They spent 40 years being reshaped and reformed by God and learning to rely on him. And God provided for Elijah for this 40 days. The distance was about 200 miles is about what he, he went over during that time frame. Walking, it should have taken him about 14 days. And we don't know what he was doing for that full 40 days. Scripture doesn't tell us. I think that's another one of those things that we're called to ponder and think about and think about the ways that God would have been working in that circumstance. We don't know if he was evading the enemy. We don't know if it was just God working with him and helping him to resolve his fears. But he finally makes it to the mountain of God and he takes refuge in the cave. And God's question is, what are you doing here? He thinks he's the only one left. Now my middle son, Caleb, has always been our one who has the funny, witty answers to things. And he has always done that. Um, and so when he was little, about three and a half or four, he was in preschool. We were eating dinner together one night, and he said something at the dinner table. We all thought it was hilarious. Caleb was extremely hurt and upset that we laughed at him. So he pulled a little bit of an Elijah. He just hightailed it out of there, went to his room. So I gave him a few minutes to cool down a little bit. And then I went up to his room and I stood outside his door because he had slammed the door. Stood outside his door for a minute just to listen and see if I could hear anything. And I could hear him in there. And these are the words that I heard. And I just can imagine his little expression and how he was doing this. I am the only one in this family doing the God thing. And (laughs) that's how he felt at that moment. (laughs) We had laughed at him and we were not doing the God thing. He felt alone in that moment 
And I think that's how Elijah felt. Elijah felt like in that moment, he was the only one doing the God thing. But what Elijah forgot was that God was with him in that. Elijah thought everything that he had done maybe had been for nothing at this point. We don't know. We're not sure how he got to this conclusion and where that fear came from. But when Jezebel threatened to him, it was his first response was that fear was to run away. And for some reason to think that God didn't have this in this particular circumstance. Because that cave that he ended up in, that was not a part of God's plan. God had not sent Elijah to that cave, but here is the good news and what I want you to remember. God met him there. Not only did he meet him there in the cave, he met him all along and provided for him and was with him while he was wandering around the desert. When we are disobedient, when we forget to trust God and we end up somewhere we are not supposed to be, when we have run away, when we're sitting in a cave, hiding in fear and shame and dealing with the consequences of our sin and our hurt and our disobedience and our unbelief, God's there saying, what are you doing here? Elijah's response, he doesn't remember all those good things that God had done for him. He's kind of throwing himself a little pity party at this point. I'm the only one. He doesn't mention the way that God had provided for him and how he hid those prophets in the caves. He doesn't recall the fire that came and consumed everything and the quiet God that no one noticed. His fear and his discouragement in that moment caused him to only see the dark side of things. He felt failure in spite of being zealous for, the God, for God. That's possible. We can be so on fire for God and still feel like maybe we're not making a difference. Maybe this isn't what I'm supposed to be doing. We can see that in our church as a whole when we do things. When we address things like homelessness and the foster care system, those are huge systems with huge problems. And it can start to feel like in that big sea of problems that, that we could never make a difference in that, that we couldn't have an impact on that. But God is there in those moments. It can feel like that on an individual basis when we have um, problems in our marriage or relation, broken relationships. can feel like we're the only one doing the God thing in those circumstances. But the important thing to remember is that God is there with us in those circumstances. We can raise our children in the church and we can be zealous for God. And yet our children may struggle or question or question their faith and may struggle with unbelief. But you know what? God is still there. God didn't meet Elijah in that cave and chasten him. He didn't lecture him. He simply demonstrated his ways. God reminded him of his power and his provision, and then he asked him the same question again. What are you doing here? 
Elijah's answer is exactly the same, which I think is interesting. Kind of means he's probably still having his little pity party. But he's listening to God. He's hearing God. He's seeing God. He's experienced that reminder. The song, the second song we sang this morning, A Reason to Praise, I love this line. When I'm at my end, you are just getting started. It fits perfectly with this. That whole song is such a beautiful reflection of this when you listen to that song and think about Elijah in that situation. It's all reflected there. I mean, think about the fact that he's run to a cave. He's run not only into a dark place by himself, but he's got a choice. He can either stay there in that cave or he can walk out and see God and all of his glory and all of his love and all of his grace and all of his mercy, and he can step into that. Even in the midst of still having those feelings and still not being sure of what God is doing in this situation. This time, God tells him to go. And Elijah does it. He goes on to anoint two kings. He anoints Elisha as his successor. We don't get a clear view that he's feeling really any better about this yet. But he responds in obedience. He responds because he has seen God's glory and his God might, and he knows that God's with him. God's met him in that place. Verse 18 in this scripture ends, or uh, that particular verse, this chapter ends with a reminder that God left 7,000 in Israel who had not bowed or kissed idols in worship. Maybe Elijah didn't know that. Maybe he didn't understand what God's plan was. Maybe he didn't think that was enough. But we serve an amazing God, and that's all that God needed. And that's what it means for us to, to rest and to, to lean into God's provision. We can see a lot of ourselves in Elijah, I think. In James chapter 5, verse 17, this is what he writes. Elijah was a man of like nature with ourselves, and he prayed fervently that it might not rain, and for three years and six months, it did not rain on the earth. Now the next verse right after that, listen to this. My brothers, if anyone among you wanders from the truth and someone brings him back, let him know that whoever brings back a sinner from his wandering will save his soul from death and will cover a multitude of sins. Our like nature is that zealousness for God and that obedience, but then at the same time finding ourselves sometimes feeling overwhelmed and fearful and not remembering to trust in God's provision. Sometimes we wander from the truth, the truth of who God is, the truth of the extent of God's love for you, the truth that God will seek you out no matter what and find you, not to chasten or reprimand you, but to remind you of whose you are. I used to work at a summer camp in high school and college, and one of the things I learned in one of my very first summers there as a staff member was from someone who had been doing 
uh, camp ministry for a long time, and he told me, he said, when you need to get the kids' attention, don't yell. Start to whisper. It'll help to bring the volume of the room down. It'll catch the kids' attention, and they'll start leaning in to catch what you're saying. That's what God did in this circumstance. He whispered. All the noise and the fear and the discouragement that Elijah felt was loud in his ears at that point. And so God just leaned in and whispered it to him so that Elijah had to focus on him, had to be present with him in that moment. God will always save us when we wander. We don't have to start over with God. If you're in a 12-step program, you'll get a chip to mark significant anniversaries, a year, five, 10 years, whatever that um, anniversary is for your sobriety. And if you, if you stumble, you start over. And it's a beautiful way of helping people and encouraging people and being a part of that journey. But here is something different about our God. God just meets you right there and you don't have to start over. He meets you where you are. He meets you with his love and his grace and his mercy. And that grace is so big and he reminds us of how much he loves us. And just like a parent, he picks us up, dusts us off and sends us on our way. On our way to trust and obey him. He just tells him to go, now go, go and do as I have taught you, as I have shown you, as I have loved you. And sometimes those problems can seem so big and overwhelming that our first response is to run away, run away from this situation and run away from God. We are prone to wander, but God is there, providing us with sustenance while we're wandering And then he meets us in our cave and asks us, what are you doing here? These are the questions we are meant to ponder, to think about. So this week, as you leave here, I want you to think about that. Are you in a place that you arrived at out of fear and shame and disobedience? Listen for God's whisper. This is not where you are supposed to be, but God is there with you. God's reminding you, you're supposed to be relying on me, which means listening and being obedient to what God is asking you to do in your life. We have our moments, but through God's grace, we're picked back up and we're set back out on our journey. Or can you remember a time when you have wandered and found yourself in a cave and God whispered to you and picked you up and got you back on his path? Share that with someone this week. This is how we share and remember what God has done for us and it provides hope in Christ for those that you share it with. Don't keep that story to yourself. Share that so that others can have that same hope in Christ. And just remember that when you're at your end, God's just getting started. 